0: welcome back to the road to wealth podcast it is your host justin knackpill and hopefully everyone is off to a great start of the summer it is summertime chicago and i couldn't be happier and on today's episode i get to speak with denise duffield thomas she is an author she is a mother a podcaster content provider within the money space all the way in australia and we had a great conversation talking through her money history, a little bit about herself, her family, and we dove into a few things around mindset and creating and preserving generational wealth. We also discussed about the topic of what the image of wealthy looks like and how perfectionism can sometimes be in our way to be our better self. So I wanna thank her for coming on the podcast. Please go ahead and check out her content, buy her books, listen to her content on social media, as well as her podcast, And for those that are new to the podcast and also have been listening, I want to thank you for coming to the Road to Wealth podcast. Please go ahead and leave a rating and review on your podcast player. It helps me out a lot. And without further ado, let's go ahead and speak to our conversation with Denise Duffield-Thomas. Hello, everyone. My name is Justin Knackpill. I am the host to the Road to Wealth podcast here in the United States, here in Chicago. And I have a wonderful guest calling from across the world. I have Denise Duffield-Thomas calling from Newcastle, Australia. Denise, how are you?
1: Hey, Justin. We literally are like opposite places in the planet, opposite seasons even.
0: Denise and I literally just met today and um, I've been consuming her content for a little bit and it's been so inspiring to, you know, and honoring uh, such an honor to have you on the podcast. Um, What Can you give the listeners a little bit about yourself and, you know, kind of what drew you to the the money space?
1: Sure. So I um, have always, always wanted to be an entrepreneur since I was a little kid but i didn't know what that meant for a long time because i think when i grew up being an entrepreneur meant um, making something with your hands or you know this was kind of pre-internet where i just thought being a business person meant you have to just like make something basically so i spent my 20s really looking for what that what that could be i discovered the world of online marketing pretty early so i my first ebook was 2004 so quite a long time ago. And it was, um, it was called internet dating tips for men because internet dating was really new. And I, I was doing it myself and I went, wow, people really suck at this. And so I think I've always been that kid or that person who's like, how can we improve things? How can I tell people what they're doing wrong? (laughs) Um, And so then I was like, what else can I do? And A lot of my early businesses were just seeing something that people were doing badly or following an interest of mine and and following it until it ran out of steam. So I had lots of different blogs and things like that. And I decided to go into the world of coaching. So I started to be a life coach and then went into business coaching. And what I noticed is that a lot of my clients, they were having real struggles around their mindset around money And I decided to explore that further. And for me, that was a real light bulb moment that it's not so easy being in business without dealing with the mindset stuff, because I think most of it, it's logistical, you know, like write a book, publish a book, start a podcast. You can get a checklist for anything, especially now. But there's just something inside us sometimes that stops us from setting prices or making money or putting ourselves out there. And um, I went all in on that about uh, 12 years ago and it's still endlessly fascinating to me to hear people's money stories and to help people decipher like, what, what's holding them back. And, and often it's from our childhood, often it's from experiences that we collectively have about money. And um, yeah, that's that's what I do now. So I write books. I have an online course called Money Bootcamp that's just had its 10-year anniversary And, um, yeah, and I'm just talking and normalizing, talking about
0: money. I I love it, Denise. And I think you've hit on a number of things, you know, allowing your curiosity to lead you to different areas. Interesting that you, you took, uh, online dating as a piece, which is so normalized now. I can't imagine if you wrote a book on like Tinder or any equivalent of online dating of how it is now. Um, I think you chose the right, you know, the right move going into money.
1: Yeah, and I love talking about money, but I think I um it, I resisted it for a little while because money is still this taboo topic, really. And I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not an accountant. I don't talk about money from an investing point of view. I talk about it from... Um, well, yeah, again, normalising the conversation about what's holding us back, what are what are our collective beliefs about money? You know, you and I grew up in different cultures. You've got the, the Filipino culture and the American culture. I grew up in um, Australia and then I lived in England for a long time. And even seeing the differences in cultures around money has been really fascinating. But something that we all have in common, most of us, is that we grew up um, our first interaction with money was being told that money is dirty because that's what we do as little kids, right? And I'm sh- I did the same when my kids were little. I don't know if you did as well. I went, money's dirty. And then I went, oh, my God, that's our first interaction. It's a very scary interaction. And a lot of people are scared to talk about money or we think it's impolite to talk about money. And, um, and you know, it's interesting the gender differences sometimes around money too. I mostly focus on women because I think we often have a disadvantage. We're not allowed to talk about money as much as men. But I'm finding more and more men are listening to my work too, because I think men nowadays are more willing to be vulnerable about their mindset issues and wanting to explore that too.
0: You know, you hit on a good topic, Denise, and I, I completely agree with you. I think, you know, here even here in the States, you know, that disparity or gap between men and women is a, a very you know, prevalent topic. And, you know, I, I'm certainly trying to, you know, also create a platform where, you know, multiple, many voices, men and women can share um, their insecurities and feel, you know, that they can come to the space and, and and talk through it. You know, one thing that you mentioned is around how we're rooted, rooted with money, as we're growing up as kids. Um, can you talk a little bit of your relationship with money when you, when you were growing up? And, you know, what was kind of that aha moment or change? you know, later on that you identified with for yourself?
1: Well, um, my mom was really young when she had me, she was 17. Uh, my parents were you know, both really young, but they split up um, pretty quickly. So I grew up, um, in the welfare system in Australia and I, that has really informed my work because I saw my mom, my grandmother, my aunties have very little economic power and very little opportunity as single parents um, to to, to work and to earn their own money and therefore have power. And so I am, one, I'm incredibly grateful for the tools that we have available to us. You know, it's it's amazing that we can start businesses, start our own um, media with basically a phone and an internet connection, you know, and the tools available to us are incredible. Because I think what would have my mom and my grandmother have done with those tools? They would have been able to earn their own money and get out of situations that weren't healthy. Um, so that drives my work very much in terms of, well, it's always driven me because I know I knew I wanted independence, earn my own money. But it, it drives the work that I do to help other people see that they can earn their own money too and get out of their own way to earn money. Um, so I think I didn't really um i actually didn't know and see the disparity for a long time and i think this is interesting when you start to become aware of contrast and this is where you know i've coached tens of thousands of people on this now and i've heard so many stories so sometimes you some people grow up wealthy but they didn't know that they were wealthy or they they were middle class but they felt poor because they lived in a wealthier area or they were Um, you know, kind of poor, but they went to a private school. And so they felt like even more poor. And so perception is a huge part of it as well. And I actually didn't see a lot of the disparity until I was 11. My mom um, married a a wealthy older man, didn't turn out very well, but suddenly I was different from my peers. And I saw this difference in money. And I Um, up until then, a lot of my friends were in similar situations. A lot of my friends came from single parent families in government housing. And it was just that contrast then that, um, that we start to see. And so I love hearing people's stories about things like that, about that contrast. And I'd love to hear from you too, Justin, on this, because, you know, you said your family are from the Philippines. You've got family who live in Australia Where did you actually grow up? Like, especially in those tween, teen years where you start to become aware of money and contrast and who has what.
0: I'm going to put you on the spotlight. (laughs) You know, I love it. I I think it's, um, you know... uh fellow podcasters just have this uh, niche of asking questions towards one another. But, um, you know, I grew up middle class um, and, you know, I've shared this on the podcast. You know, my parents migrated to the United States from the Philippines back in the the late 60s, early 70s. And, you know, it was always this thing of, um, you know, being able to support their family. The family piece is, is huge and they became professionals and to adapt and assimilate in America, but as immigrants versus us being born in America and having um, you know, very fortunate lives, you know, we went to, you know, we went to private school, but I think to your point was, we didn't know, we didn't know we were middle class. Um, you know, we wanted, you know, really nice, you know, basketball shoes or to go out a nice restaurant like that was very normalized to us. But one thing that was never necessarily taught to us was, at least in America was the American way of or even just the ability to build wealth, right, via investing and creating a budget, just some of the you know, kind of price of entry pieces that, you know, I had to learn independently as an adult. Um, so that's something that as a new father, I'm trying to kind of figure out in the placement of my children, what that means. Um, Denise and I were talking earlier, just um, a little bit of how we talk through our money relationship early on with our kids, and try not to give the same type of, you uh, I wanna say trauma, that's uh, that's a fairly strong word, but in a very similar relationship with, with money and, and, and show that it's not dirty. Um, it's something that we have to you know necessarily build not only for yourself via trading your time for um, an employer that gives you money, but you also have to be, how do you be responsible with it and have them learn, learn that piece? Um, I'm curious for you, I mean, was there a moment for you that you had to take responsibility into your own hands around your own money and, and money that you earned?
1: Yeah, well, um, you know, growing up, I didn't have any role models around taking care of money for sure. Um, And so I did get into a lot of debt in my 20s because I just never seen, you know, like how to even have a conversation about money. But um, when I started making more money in my 30s and now I'm in my 40s, I realized how many blocks I had around um, barriers to entry. You know, I was like... um, Investing in the stock market, you know, talking to financial advisors just felt very scary to me, you know, and it just felt like I don't belong in that, in that space and in that world. And um, I think it's interesting, again, if we go back to, you know, like how people grow up about money, something that I do think we have to break for this next generation is the correlation between hard work and making money. And I think this is tricky, right? Because, of course, you have to work. Like, you have to be persistent. But I think for those of us who grew up in an analogue kind of childhood or especially, you know, parents of immigrants being second generation or, you know, first generation born in America, sometimes, like, we don't actually have to work really, really hard to make money. We have to be persistent. We have to have an idea but it's a completely different relationship than previous generations had before but we're still in that space of working hard to make money and i actually think there is there are a lot of creative people who hold themselves back because of almost this guilt of making money in a creative way making money in a way that comes naturally to us because it's a it's a luxury it's a privilege that not everyone has but especially not our our family um, and so I one thing I try and do with our kids is aim for neutrality around money because I heard so many negative things growing up of um you know money doesn't grow on trees is the classic one or do you think we're made of money or another day another dollar or you have to work really hard to make money And it's actually not true. you know I don't feel like I have to work hard to make money compared to what my family did but I try and th- say things like, um, instead of money's dirty, I'll be like, we take care of money in our family. Like that's why we don't put it in our mouth, not because money is dirty. And, um, you know, if you, if you have a dream and you're persistent, you can do anything because I think there's just a lot of guilt wrapped up in easy money. And I see entrepreneurs um, procrastinate things like creating passive income, creating courses or eBooks, because it feels, it feels kind of inappropriate. And, like dirty if you come from a long legacy of working hard and sacrificing. And it's like, who am I to have this easy life just talking to people and creating fun things? Is that allowed? Um, So yeah, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that about just ease and making money.
0: You know, I do want to pull on that string, Denise, because you mentioned, and I talked a little bit about this, especially if you grew up in your, teens or early 20s, um, finding your quote unquote career, not becoming an entrepreneur, right? We talked about, um, like, for example, I'm a traditional worker that, you know, I'm employed by an employer, I get paid a salary. Um, So there is this distinction between working hard for someone else versus, you know, for yourself. Um, One question as you were talking through, uh, and I love the piece around the, the neutrality when it comes to money, is how do you distinguish money behaviors for your business versus for your own household and you personally
1: oh yeah good question um i think it's so personal for everyone because there are different personalities when it comes to money you know and so um there are people who are very frugal in both their business and their personal life. And there are people who um, do not even wanna look at money in their business and their personal life. I think, again, what's interesting is to look at the legacy that you came into around money because um, sometimes it follows this feast or famine pattern in families, you know, and it's, um, have you heard that expression, um, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations?
0: Well, there is an adaptation, but I do want uh, want you to explain it, so go ahead.
1: Oh yes, yeah. and there's there's a few different ways I think of different cultures have said this, but it's like one generation works really hard. They're the you know the myth of the self-made millionaire, and then their kids are kind of um, maybe they go to university and they you know, and then the next lot of kids might be really spoiled and they're so far away from the concept of how it got made that often they lose it. And so what I'm trying to do, um, you know, I'm the first self-made millionaire in my family, the first person to go to university, not even woman. And I'm trying to create longevity for that. And because I see so many people swing the other way, like their family were really frugal and either they're really frugal to kind of, you know, match it or they swing the other way. And so I just see these people creating these patterns and I think it's really important to see like what what healthy patterns can we create? And so I come, you know, my mum my was really impulsive around money and she would have windfalls all the time. She would, we'd, and so we lived in this feast or famine thing where there would be like no money um, and then she would win bingo, you know, or like she would win $5,000 on the slot machines. <laughs> and this would happen like every now and again and then we would have really nice yogurts. and But we would consume it all really quickly. And so I think what I learned from that is, you know, good times never last. Enjoy it while you can. Instant gratification. And I've had to unlearn that to go, it's okay to save for the future. It's okay to put money away for retirement. And, um, you know, and that's my experience. I think all of us have to reflect on what we heard growing up, but what are, were the unspoken things about money as well? How did our family talk about work? Who is allowed to succeed? Are there differences in your family about, um, is, are there expectations about who is allowed to succeed first? What are you allowed to succeed in? Who is allowed to make the most money? And it's really fascinating when you start to look at that, even if you looked at birth order, for example, and, you um, and how that can impact your money. You know, if you're the the firstborn, you might tend to be, you know, more feeling more responsible. Sometimes I hear from people who are the babies of their family, who, you know, they're 30, 40 years old, they go home and they sit at the kids' table almost at Thanksgiving, you know, and then they are struggling sometimes with money because they don't see themselves as being responsible enough to take care of money. So it's just a fascinating conversation to kind of look at the legacy that you come into and see what is good, what you want to keep for yourself going forward and and what you want to transmute or change to be a healthier expression of that. And, you know, I am a firstborn, um, I feel overly responsible for all of my siblings. (laughs) Um, I financially support my mom and I have to watch that feeling of feeling responsible for people, um, especially around money.
0: You know, you, and so for, for contrast for the listeners, I I'm the youngest of, in my family and, you know, I love the fact that you bring up about birth order and how, because every, I'm sure all your siblings, they handle money in a, in a different way. Um, I'm curious for you, just because you are the oldest and you I'm gonna pull on the string of, of birth order, do you feel out of responsibility you have to take that role? And, and my follow-up question to that too, Denise, is how do you empower everyone around you to take responsibility for themselves?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, when I, I started making really good money in my business, I felt a lot of guilt because at the time my mum was still working um, as a care worker in a nursing home and she was starting work at 5am every day. And I remember the very first year of my um, business and I made $500 to go speak at a government event as a keynote speaker, which can you imagine me turning up? I was like, hi. Hi. Um, but I was really proud of it. And I remember saying it to her and she went, wow, that's my weekly wage. And, and I just went, oh, like it just felt horrible. So I actually knew when I got to a certain point, um, I felt I felt my own income plateau come out of guilt because I thought I can't make any more money because this just feels so inappropriate. So that's when I um I said to my mom, look, I'll I'll replace your salary. Um, and she lives with us part-time and she, um, has a motor home. So she, she just goes off and travels and, um, you know, so I, I support her. I give her a wage basically. I did that. And I've had uh, like, you know, therapists who are like, you know, you're enabling your mom. Cause she, my mom is like totally, um, kind of irresponsible, you know, fly by the seat, whatever. But, um, it helps me sleep at night like it really does it helps me sleep at night to know hey i can i can make more money without guilt because i know that she's taken care of especially during the pandemic i would have felt horrible if my mom was still you know working in a nursing home during the last couple of years so we've done that for maybe about five five years now and that really helps and that we do the same thing for mark's mom too, both single parents um with my siblings though this is where i made a massive big mistake um so I've got one, one sibling who's similar to age in me and and two who are 15 and 19 years younger than me. And so I actually took on like too much responsibility with them. And I was enabling, especially um, one of my siblings, like he was getting speeding fines and parking fines and like just being terrible with his money. And, and developing bad habits that I was enabling. I didn't even realize. And so I had to say no. And it was really hard because I thought I actually can afford to help them, but it's not doing them any favors. Um, and so I really try and check in with myself to see where where is this healthy and where is it not? Um, and Yeah, it's tricky, really, really tricky. And learning to say no. And that's even like learning that with my kids to to say no too because so many people tell me I don't want my kids to be spoiled. And I had to be aware of that too because they're growing up in a completely different way than I did where they do have money and they don't have to stress about money like I did at a very young age. Um, And I want them to see that that's a privilege you know, and we have conversations about that to say, you know, we we do have money and that doesn't make us better than anyone else. Making money doesn't make you better or worse. Money is just money and we use our money to help other people. So it's, um yeah, it's an interesting <laughs> privilege and I call them, you know, lucky bitch problems, but I have, I've le- had to learn how to like be a person with money, you know, and I am new money. And I've made mistakes around, I've made new money mistakes basically around having money, and um, and I do see it as a privilege. And one of the things I had to do actually, because I started donating more money as I made more money, and I just I went, wow, this there's just things that you just don't know about making money that you actually do need to get advisors for. So I, I hired a um, a philanthropy coach to explore how, what impact do I want to make on the world with my money. And so what organizations do I want to support? What f- causes do I want to support? Um, a mix of short-term and long-term things, um, building a foundation so then it can become self-fulfilling one day. Um, but that's all stuff. If you never grew up around money, you have no idea how to have those conversations. And, um, you know, some, I think when our kids are a little bit older too, I, we want to bring them in to see, see that world too.
0: There's a lot there that. Yeah,
1: there's a
0: lot. (laughs) And I I love the fact that, um, you recognize that you wanted to give back to the world as, as you were, you know, kind of stacking, but, um, I will applaud you because I think there's a, there's an element there you talk through. How do we recognize that? Yes, we are privileged and fortunate for our our situation, but it is your responsibility. Um, you may not notice it now, and I'm, I'm speaking it from the lens of a parent. Um, because that's a fear I have. When I have this same conversation when my kids become tweens and want to, you know, s- spend money, I, 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 it's about being a shepherd of it and, and recognizing that, you know, it's it, it's not a you know a never ending, you know, buffet, if you will, <laughs> or or fountain. Right. Um, th- there are things that you're going to have to take responsibility for yourself. Um, you know, the one thing that y- you talked the you talk through was. Um, and they talk a lot about this concept in the book, uh, The Millionaire Next Door, which is a, a very popular book, um, referring to economic relief. Um, what are some methods that y- you've either shared, um, and you, you've alluded to it too, around boundaries. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, how you've either implemented that yourself or even just coached that to your, um, to your clients?
1: I loved that book too, by the way. Millionaire Next Door. Um, it really changed something in me when I read it uh, about getting serious about saving for the future and building long-term wealth. Um, the thing that's interesting about that, though, I also really watch people who are really wealthy to see what what do they do with their own kids, because you know when we talked about the shirt sleeves, the shirt sleeves thing too. It's like, well, how do you build that into your kids of seeing money as a tool and, um, you know, not just seeing it as something that they can just blow. So um, when it comes to talking to my own clients about money, because we don't really talk about investing and saving and things like that, it's more about, um, you know, what what stories do you have about your own ability to make money? And what I find, I, we do this one exercise and it's it's fascinating. It's You speak into a mirror. And you say, this is what a wealthy person looks like. Um, and so it could be for me, I would say, this is what a wealthy woman looks like. And the fun thing about it is it's it's even better to do it when you're actually not feeling good about yourself. Because I think we all still have perceptions about who is allowed to have money and who is allowed to be wealthy and who is allowed to call themselves wealthy. And um, I remember maybe even 10 years ago, I was Googling like wealthy woman and they were all stock photos of um, models, literally models on, um, you know, the private jet, like backdrops kind of thing. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, yeah, the same thing, you know, (laughs) (laughs) yes, exactly. Like the sheath dress, big high heels, um, usually white models. And, you know, then they weren't real people. They They were models. And and then I Googled wealthy men and I was like, oh, wealthy men can look for however they like, you know, but we still all have that perception. And sometimes it's how, what era we grew up in as well, because we saw that depicted in movies and, and TV. And so me growing up in the 80s, I was like, okay, wealthy women are bitchy, very, very glamorous um, and full of drama because I I just saw it in dynasty or dynasty, as you guys say. Um, And that was kind of it. I'd never met someone in real life who was just a normal person and who was just nice and talked about money or who was even successful. I'd never seen that. And so this mirror work is really fun because it's good to um, see what comes up when you say that you know this is what a wealthy woman looks like or this is what um, a successful person looks like because that little voice will go yeah but or no it's actually like this and it's it's just um and as i said the the worse you look the better on that because then you can go well i can be successful and frazzled i can be successful at any weight i can be successful at my age um and it's just really good to yeah explore what comes up for you around who is allowed to be successful, who is allowed to have money. And, um, and sometimes it takes repetition for you to even believe that you were allowed to do it. And this works for anything, right? If you have a goal to be a writer, you could do that. This is what a successful writer looks like. And just pay attention. It's not to do it to, um, you know, sometimes affirmations are about just, you know, act as if, it's actually more useful to see what stories you have about why you're not allowed to have that thing. You know, this is what a a CEO looks like. It might bring up stuff for you. And then um, I talk about acclimatisation a lot. How can you acclimatize yourself to what you desire? And it could be even starting by following people who look like you, following people who have a similar background to you. So we just build that belief that that is possible for ourselves. And that's just a hugely important thing, and that's why representation matters so much in every field. So you can go, well, maybe I can. And, you know, and, and it's hard if you have to be the first or the only or the trailblazer. If you've never seen anyone, who looks like you? Even having a conversation about money, then it's it's hard to have that self identity that it's even possible.
0: You know, I I love that because, you know, you you asked me a question or as we were talking, you know, what our image of of wealthy looks like, and I remember you know growing up, um, and this is you know me at university or in college, you know, trying to figure out my career, and I went into finance, and my initial perception was. These Wall Street banker guys, white in a Brooks Brothers suit, and I just couldn't relate. And it's probably why I didn't pursue finance. But it's ironic that the personal finance component was something that I was very passionate about. Um, I'm curious your your thoughts on this because it's a topic I've, I'm going to be probably doing a solo episode, or you know maybe we could talk about it, um, you know, in a future episode is how we allow today's perfection culture erode and. You know, bring us to that point, and, and you mentioned, you know, this affirmation piece, this you know, climatization piece. Um, but if we if we're putting our energy into, you know, like you said, a private jet with a white model and a white guy in a suit, that's not you know normalizing because that is now our, you know, image of what per, you know in a perfect perfect world, what wealthy looks like. Can you can you share a little bit about you know your thoughts there around perfectionism and how that can be a, a negative thing for us?
1: Yeah. Oh, perfectionism, is, it's so hard. Um, it's something I struggle with a lot. I really do. Um, I'm a Virgo. Virgos can be very prone to perfectionism. Um, and I think, again, you know, eldest child for me, but also growing up in, um, in an environment where I felt like I had very little control. And so I can be very controlling about um, uh, just trying to make sure everything's perfect, not wanting to make any mistakes. And this can be so hard when it comes to anything, but especially if you want to have creativity or um, like entrepreneurship, start a business, something like that, or even things like starting a podcast, right? So this is a perfect example, Justin. You said you started your podcast in the pandemic and a lot of people had um, you know, similar ideas. Oh, I'll write a book. I'll start a podcast. But a lot of people didn't right? Because they would have thought, okay, I need to have the perfect idea first. I need to have the perfect backdrop. I need the perfect jingle. I need the perfect idea to get started. And so often we just don't get started, right? And we just don't. And so at some point you just go, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to give it a go and and try. But a lot of people don't, they really don't. And I remember my first um, version of my course. So I've been doing the course for 10 years the first version i filmed it myself with an ipad and you know didn't have great sound whatever but i but i launched it and then i've i've upgraded it every kind of two years but it's really hard to improve on nothing and i think there's something there about perfectionism we think that people are going to ridicule us or we're going to get into trouble or we're just not we just don't feel worthy or good enough or we're worried about um, somebody in our life, you know, mocking us or whatever. And sometimes that can all be related to childhood as well, if you weren't allowed to make mistakes. Um, I was speaking to one of my um, boot campers about this this week. And I, I said, well, tell me, you know, a time in your life where you weren't allowed to make mistakes. And she said, you know, my dad, um, we'd only get praise or we only got something if we had 100% on a test or it didn't count. And in reality, no one has to be 100% good at their job to get a promotion or to succeed in life, but sometimes there's little things that happen to us where we've made a decision. I have to be perfect so I will be loved or I'll have to be perfect to control everything. And, um, you know, you don't need to be perfect to make money. You usually just need to get started. I always say to people, you know, half-ass, which... You guys say half ass, but I, it's hard for me to say half ass. But half half ass is fine. And I have made um, I have made money just by just by getting started. And I don't think I've ever done anything that's perfect. Nothing I've ever been one hundred percent happy with. But I've done it imperfectly and have kept going. And I think it's important for all of us to encourage each other to start imperfectly. And improve as we go and when it comes to something like a podcast right imagine you screwed up your first episode no one's listening on your first podcast you know like your very first episode no one is is watching your first blog post that you publish like it's your parents it's your friends and but then you you grow and you get better and I mean we still make mistakes all the time that we made a big mistake today in, in our company and it happens all the time
0: yeah, I, I love your your piece, and Denise. You should probably make this into a T-shirt to start imperfectly. We we always talk about you know just just starting, but we we allow our limiting beliefs, whether it be outside perception or our own respective insecurities, and you know tying this back to money. We talk about you know we can't be the perfect saver, the perfect investor, because you know we don't you know, we 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 default to we don't know how. Um, but there's a lot of things that we don't know how to do, um, and I one thing I've been preaching recently is. Um, And maybe it's the fact that I have young kids is, you know, we have to latch back on to the imagination and creativity that we had as kids and be okay to fail. Um, You know, as kids, you know, we never learned how to ride a bike or, um, you know, how to draw. You know, those were all, you know, I can see it from my kids now with the way they they, they color outside the lines that as a perfectionist, I'm like, you got to color inside the lines. But that is... Part of their journey, and I feel like you know, even as adults, we are, we have too much of an ego to not really define what perfect looks like because we don't even know what that you know even imperfect looks like. We just have to start.
1: Absolutely, um, and the kid example is a, a great one because you know they say who you are at seven is who you really are, and. I found recently, I I do feel like that part of me when I was a kid, before I had, you know, those worries, I was like, oh, I did, I was just wanted to be creative for the sake of being creative and it was so much fun and, um, you know, I I remember starting a couple of different hobbies and I wasn't good at it straight away and I just was like, screw this, <laughs> Um and I think we do need to learn to play a little bit more and to be okay with, with making mistakes, especially around money. You know, it's 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 not that serious a topic, um, but I think we're told that it is and it feels like we can really screw things up. Um, and, like, even, for example, with entrepreneurs, I say to them, with pricing, everyone's making it up. You know, you can just pull, pull a number out of your butt. Um, and the same in the corporate world. Like, if I went back into the corporate world now, I go, everyone was just making it up. Like the perception of who is the best worker isn't always the reality, right? Because so much of it is so much of success is about perception and confidence. And I'm like, Oh, I would be so good at the corporate game now.
0: (laughs) It's because you have history, Denise. And, you know, you've, you've built this business on your own. Um, I'm I'm curious, what was, um, you know, as you're, you know, 10, you know, plus years into yourself as an entrepreneur, what has been the biggest lesson that you've learned um, for yourself?
1: Um, One of the biggest ones has been boundaries and people pleasing. And I think that's for me, why um, I struggled in the corporate world a little bit. I never asked for a pay increase. I never negotiated my salary because it was a very, um, you know, the good girl kind of thing is if I just work hard, someone will recognize me and it doesn't happen like that. And um, and I just, I think I really got a lot of, um, you know, I just liked being the, the go-to girl that could just make it happen no matter what, and that was almost enough. And then that's what I did when I went into entrepreneurship. I'll just be everything to everyone. And having to say no and having to set boundaries um, was, was really hard for me. And I think that is sometimes... The human stuff of money can be hard. Of asking for money, talking about money, asking for a pay increase, um, you know, pushing back on on people who ask for discounts or default on payments. People don't want to have those awkward conversations, and I didn't want to say no to people. I was, and I think the other thing um, for me is I, I'm really delusional about time, and. I always just take on way too much because I just think I can do it all. (laughs) So that's, that's my challenge. I think sometimes now is because I just think, oh, I'll just manipulate time and space and make that happen.
0: (laughs) And I do. Says every overachiever, Denise.
1: (laughs) And I, but that's the thing. I never feel like I've done enough. You know, and that's it's 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 hard to live like that sometimes. Yesterday, I was um, I batch my podcast, and which is much easier when it's a solo podcast because you don't have to worry about other people's schedules. So I did eighteen episodes yesterday. In um, I hired a studio for a day, and I just bashed them out. And I still like I kind of just go as soon as I've done something like that, I just go, oh, that doesn't count anymore. And, um, I have to really watch myself because otherwise I can get burnt out um with just, yeah, doing because I am an overachiever, but I don't think I'm an overachiever because I don't feel like it's enough. Does that make sense? It's like being a perfectionist. I'm like, I can't be a perfectionist. I don't do anything perfectly. And um it's sometimes I have to remind myself. and my my husband Mark works in the in the company, too, and he's like that. Um and so it can be very tricky sometimes. And we have to watch it with our kids, too of, not putting that onto them, and that's hard too. Yeah, and,
0: you know, I, I th- I've, I've recognized this. I think that every creator or a- anyone within that has responsibility for something um, is going to put on pressure because we, like you mentioned at the t- at the top of the episode, like we are privileged to have technology that um, allows us to create it, create from anywhere, and really um, be able to promote it on multiple platforms and reach people that literally strangers from um literally across (laughs) across the world um but we also have to be recognizing or recognize for ourselves and give ourselves permission of you can't give your best self if your cup is half empty because you're trying to do everything and be the jack of all trades for, for everybody else
1: yeah i i absolutely struggle with that um and so what i try and do as well is um I could work 24 seven because I get so much joy out of it and it's always there, you know, there's always more to do. And so I have to make sure that I book things in that are non-negotiable. So I I have someone come to the house to do yoga with me because I, I always find excuses to go out and go to a class. Um, So I I have to book that time in I have to book in regular massages. So I just have space, spaciousness. Um, And I'm, you know, I'm really lucky a lot of my friends are creatives and things like that, so I can book conferences or book retreats where I see my friends and kind of double it up as a business trip too. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I'm not going to lie. I, I do struggle with um, with switching off. And I've had to te- like tell myself as well, not everything is content. <laughs> as a podcaster, I'm sure you get this. You go, wow, that would be a great episode. And then it's like, well, not everything has to be content. Some things you can keep for yourself. And I've really noticed, especially this last year, as there are more content creators, there's this pressure to make more and more content, and um, and it can feel really exhausting to think it's never enough, and um, and you have to, you know, you have to be, you have to make it entertaining for other people. And um, that's hard. (laughs) That's pretty tricky. I'm sure you relate to that.
0: Always. And, you know, I think one North Star that I I tend to follow is, you know, is this a conversation that I would look forward to to listening to myself, right? Um, You know, in the podcast world, or, you know, is this a person that's intriguing to me where I just want to know their story? Um, And I think you have to kind of put those boundaries and frameworks in place in in order to produce the content that you want. Because otherwise, you're just, frankly, just, like you said, you're just producing content for the sanctity of producing content.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I get my um, hair done every, like, Tuesday morning because I have my interviews Tuesday, Wednesday. And there's that pressure sometimes of going, well, I've got nice hair, like make make heaps of videos, make all your TikToks. And I just um, sometimes I have to remind myself, it's like, oh, no, my life is for me. Too. <laughs> it's like I can have nice hair for me. I don't have to monetize it. <laughs>
0: Well, I could see from the caricatures behind you, Denise, you have a a lovely looking family (laughs) by cartoon. Um, But let's move on to the lightning round. Are you okay with that? Yeah, let's go. All right. So, um, Denise, um, in your budget with your spouse, what is the category that you spend the least amount on?
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, that's such a tricky one. I can tell you the most. Can I tell you the most? that is the next question okay okay all right um the least oh god probably like self-care that has no other purpose but self-care explain like i'll get my nails done but for filming you know what i mean like i'll get a massage because i've got filming or something like that so i think it's self self self-care for the sake of self-care
0: which, which in and of itself is is very important. Um, as, as my wife tends to tell me as well, so I I'm sure she'll empathize with you on that. Um, so let's go to the next one. What is the budget category that you and your spouse spend the most on per month?
1: Um, convenience.
0: Uh, explain so, what, what does convenience mean to you?
1: Um, just like food. Like we we eat out a lot. Like we'll we'll go because we work together. We'll go have lunch in a cafe. Um, instead of cooking, we have someone who comes and, like, cooks meals for us and does our laundry and stuff like that. So I think it's just that convenience factor of, um, yeah, not having to do everything ourselves and not having the time sometimes to do things. Um, I would say the thing that I personally spend the most money on is um, vitamins that I don't take. (laughs) I love buying vitamins. It makes me feel so healthy to buy them. And then I forget well, to take them.
0: <laughs> thank you for sharing. I'm sure this is a very contentious topic with Mark, but.
1: Uh... <laughs> yeah, they build up. And then I just, every six months, I go and chuck out all the expired ones. But I feel so good in the moment when I'm buying vitamins. I'm like, yeah, this is this is totally like the new me. I'm going to take these every day. <laughs> and then I forget.
0: New habits stack, Denise. New vitamin. Everywhere. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Um, next question. What was your initial money blocker that you, that left the scar that you had to learn from?
1: Mm, I think um, that this sounds horrible because, but it was just that, that thought that men have all the power and men make money. And so it took me a long time to realize I was allowed to talk about money. Even I remember um, when I started making money, meeting with a financial advisor, and they were like, so, like they were talking to Mark. And I was like, hey, like I made this money. But a a little thought in my mind was, oh, let the men talk about money. And so I really had to learn, like it's okay for me as a woman, you know, as a, like I was, you know, younger back then, but that's the thing. I think it's just men have all the money, men have all the power was a really hard thing for me to unlearn and realize that I'm allowed to have a seat at the table in my, in my own way. I'm allowed to be wealthy and talk about money.
0: Absolutely. I love that answer. And yes, everybody, regardless if you're a man or a woman, deserves a seat at the table. My last question for you, Denise, um, a la your book, How Are You a Lucky Bitch? <laughs>
1: when i first wrote that book which was in 2011 by the way self-published first and then um hey house my publisher republished it it was about um how i won all these things you know i i and now i realize for me being like the lucky bitch it's about gratitude you know and and recognition of of my privilege and so Whenever I feel down, I do remind myself, I say, oh, I'm so lucky. You know, and I love that line in Hamilton of like, look around, look around, uh, how lucky we are to be alive right now. Mm-hmm. And I just think like I I do have that immense gratitude um, for that. And so I don't mean it as, you know, being better than anyone else or literally having fortune shine on me, but it's making my own luck and being really grateful for the privilege that I have and using it in a good way um yeah so I love just saying that of like you know I'm look how lucky we are you know and um even sometimes uh like our tire popped on the car or whatever and I just say to my lucky we're rich (laughs) because it just feels good to say that but it's like "Lucky we're rich you know because we can solve problems with money now and that feels really good too
0: well i love the book and, and you know a lot of your uh, content around optionality and just you know empowerment especially for your mission empowering women um why don't uh you tell the audience on the road to wealth podcast denise where they could find you and you know be able to subscribe and find books and all this all the great things you're doing
1: well my so my website is denisedt.com which is my name um and all my social handles are at DeniseDT. And I love hearing from people about, you know, there are ahas from it. I love hearing people's money stories. So definitely, you know, tag us both. And um, my latest book is called Chill and Prosper. And so that's particularly for entrepreneurs who want to find the ease around making more money. And, but if you're interested in really exploring the money mindset stuff that we've talked about today, that's my book, Get Rich, Lucky Bitch. And um, sometimes men ask me to do a male version of that, uh, like get rich, lucky bastard, or something, and get rich, lucky dude. And um, But it is, you know, it totally works for men too. But it's really looking at um, exploring some of those stories that we have about money. And, and they're all available, you know, Kindle, paperback, audio, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, the newest one's called Chill and Prosper.
0: Well, Thank you, Denise, for coming on the Road 12 podcast. Um, we've become new friends, and I can't wait to yeah, my have more conversations like this, Denise. Thank you so much.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Justin.